and welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and uh, you're very welcome. Now, today I'm going to be talking to somebody that uh, is going to be very important in the world of um, safeguarding children. I'm going to be talking to Alan Wood, who's been appointed by the Secretary of State to do a fairly quick review of Local Safeguarding Children Board and their impact and um, their whole relationship with the multi-agency community. Now, Alan was previously the president of the Association of Directors of Children's Services and was director of Children's Services for Hackney in London, and he's just retired from that post. And so I'll be asking on behalf of Safeguarding Children Boards and their communities what um, Alan can tell us so far in a review that has to be with the Secretary of State by the end of March, which is a hugely quick turnaround. So, as always, here we go, and um, I hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, welcome, Alan. Thanks very much for agreeing to do the programme. Hello, David. Hi there. Um, Well, look, you've been charged by Nicky Morgan uh, uh, the um, Secretary of State to lead a, a review of the role and the functions of safeguard children, safeguarding boards up and down the country. I mean, could you just give us some context about what you think prompted this uh, review? Uh, I think there's probably two things. Um, one is the fact that Ofsted has now conducted a, over 70 uh, reviews of safeguarding children boards as part of their single inspection framework up and down the country. And I think the general view that's come out of that is uh, one that suggests that the purpose, role and function of the boards is not uh, consistently and clearly understood. Um, So I think they're thinking that after, you know, a good uh, period of operation of, you know, seven, eight years or more, um, what lessons can we learn from that? And the second issue is, of course... Uh, the Prime Minister chairs a uh, multi-ministry uh, task force on child protection, and that involves the Home Office, that involves uh, the DfE, it involves uh, you know, the Department of Community Local Government, and a whole range of Ministry of Justice, etc. And I think what they're trying to get to the bottom of is the extent to which the multi-agency arrangements which are in place under the All Species of uh, Safeguarding Children Board are operating effectively. And I don't think it's a big secret that that there are, you know, different views as to the effectiveness or otherwise of boards Mm -hmm. and the contribution or otherwise that agencies uh, make uh, within those boards. So I think there's good reason to uh, have a look at boards. Certainly within local government, um, the Local Government Association has just completed some research. Uh, The Society of Local Authority Chief Executives have... um, considered and called for a while for these things to be looked at and indeed the association of directors of children's services have said there needs to be some clarity about the functioning uh, of boards so i think there's a, a reasonably broad swathe of opinion that uh, a review is a good thing okay um now your um press releases have said effectively that you, you've been asked to ultimately report back by the end of march Yes. And in some cases, one would consider reviews, that would be the speed of light. 
Um, now, I mean, <laughs> is there any particular reason for that? Because obviously some people will think that, my goodness, there's an agenda already. Well, I think what people have got to consider is there is a vast amount of information already. I mean, the review, the, the review of the safeguarding board includes two particular foci, one on uh, child death overview panels and one on serious case reviews. And if you look across the literature, uh, there is a very, you know, the amount of paperwork I've been reading through, and I've got nowhere near finishing all of it that's available, um, is quite extensive with opinions and views about the performance uh, of safeguarding children's boards, research into them. I mentioned the uh, local government association research with research in practice. There's very many reports from uh, universities, uh, triennial reviews, biannual reviews from Ofsted also on serious case reviews. So there really is quite a large amount of information out there. Um, and I've looked at the stuff also from all of the nations in the UK, from Wales, from Scotland and from the North of Ireland, um, where there again is extensive work. Alex Jay, for example, is completing at mm. the moment a review of the Safeguarding Board in the North of Ireland. Yeah. So in my letter, or what I've been at pains to stress to people is I have had access to and seen quite a lot of people's opinions on where we are, the pros and cons of the current situation. And it seems to me there's pretty clear consensus that there needs to be fundamental review. And so I'm deliberately focusing my discussions as part of this review on what is it that needs to change, what is it we need to introduce to ensure uh, more effective multi-agency working and what is it we need to do to ensure that from serious case reviews um, or the review of case work uh, that we really learn the lessons. I mean, David, you will know as well as anybody the number of times people will say, well, there's been 160 serious case reviews this year and you know, the learning from them is all the same. And, you know, you could... Some people suggest that when an area announces it's going to do a serious case review on a, on a particular uh, situation, that you could probably write the outcome in generalised terms about what they're going to find needs improving uh, without, without having anything to do with it. Yeah. You know, I, 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 sharing, yeah. Uh, earlier intervention, less cautious attitude to risk, more <laughs> cautious attitude to risk, etc., etc., etc. No, no, you're, you're, you're right in a lot of ways. I, I mean, I've never seen a serious case review that said there was far too much communication between agencies. <laughs> that would be novel. Mm. Um, as, as you know, I do chair two boards myself. And yep. um, therefore, I've kind of been steeped in the practicalities of board governance and management and effectiveness now for, for some time. I... I am very well aware, though, that the boards do employ staff. Yeah. And the the staff are obviously anxious to some extent. I don't think anybody is against change if it's in, if it's improving things. Um, but obviously, when somebody's jobs are there, you know, you've got a lot of anxiety around thinking that this might well be something desperate for them. I mean, can you say anything about that? Well, I'm, I'm not particularly looking at the staffing arrangements, and I, but I do know that up and down the country, you know, lots of dedicated staff work incredibly hard to make sure that the boards function. Mm -hmm. um, for me, the issue is 
not that the requirements to have multi-agency arrangements in place for coordination, not that we don't need arrangements in place for effectively ensuring uh, that we're doing enough to keep children safe and protect them. Um, it's more about the way in which we do it. And there has to be a way of doing it. And, you know, for talented staff, there is always going to be a need for them to be involved. This is not whatever comes out of um, my review um, isn't going to result in you can replace what exists with nothing. Um, so if we did replace uh, what existed, there would be other arrangements which would need to be put in place and there would be skilled staff required to support them. But what we also know, David, don't we, is that the way in which local areas organise the support is very, very different. And you've got some areas where, you know, there's very little support. It's, it's essentially clerical and administrative. And in other areas, you have people who are senior professional advisors to the board. And these are full-time, quite senior staff who advise mm. the chair and mm. do all the liaison with the senior officers in you know, the police and the local authority and the uh, probation service and health. So the, the, the different contributions that local authorities make compared with other agencies is also, as you know, quite a controversial issue. In some areas, some of the contributions being very significant and not so in other areas. And in yeah. some areas, it being almost impossible to get some agencies to make any contribution at all. I think, I mean, I, obviously I can't ask you to preempt any decisions of your review, but I wondered if we could go, just go through a few areas and see um, as much yeah. as you feel able to talk about at the moment. Um, the idea of scrutiny and challenge that the boards are, are uh, responsible for has always been a, a not a grey area, but it's always been an area where the boundaries are rather sort of fuzzy, in, yeah. my, in my view, um, and that some people would say, well, you're there as, a, as an advisory body, you're there, you know, multi-agency, yes, but and you hold people to account to some extent, but, you know, you, you, you can't take it any further than that in terms of sanctions and whatnot. Others say, no, come on, hang on, um, you are already challenging people and should have a robust incremental challenging system with a degree of sanction at the end of it. That should be an outcome of this review. Have you got any thoughts so far on that? Um, I think that we, you know, we have to look at the current statutory arrangements where uh, the clear line of sight on this, of course, is through the Director of uh, Children's Services. Um, but there is, of course, uh, a big difference between having a clear line of sight and actually making uh, operational um, policies, practices and procedures as across agencies that you don't have any responsibility for. Um, you know, so the, you know, the notion that um, one person can direct other agencies to perhaps change their priorities or change the way they work is, is a little fanciful. So you're right to put your finger on, I think, what is a key issue in this um, consideration. What happens when persuasion, influence, guile, blackmail and bribery run out? You know, when, they, when the, the director of children's services or whomever has used up all of their, uh, you know, noted skills, what happens when the organisation says, yeah, that's very helpful, but actually this is our priority at the moment and this is what we're going to do? 
So I think there is what it points to. I think is a, is an issue of what what leadership do we want across these multi-agency arrangements? Are you know is the current statutory guidance sufficient? Um, is it is it sensible to have statutory guidance on any individual officer in any of the partner agencies? Is it more appropriate to have statutory guidance is there, if there's going to be any that plays on to more officers in other agencies too, police, for example, or health? So there are quite significant complexities that you know we have to navigate through. And I think it's trying to work out a series of balances. And so, for example... What I think you can begin to answer, you can begin to think about answers to the question you posed. If if you think about where you get right the balance between strategic and operational activity. Now our general view seems to be sometimes that there's not enough multi-agency working. Uh, therefore, let's set up a multi-agency body that has all of the big decision makers on it, so they can agree strategy, and then everything will be better. I think our experience should tell us that that actually doesn't always necessarily lead to where we want to be. I take the view, for example, in my experience, from what I've seen in the areas I've worked for and those I've looked at, that there's probably much more multi-agency work going on at operational level than people give credit for. And for me, the issue is, how do you devise encouragement for that? How do you foment better working relationships at operational level? And I think it comes down to trusting practice leaders. And I think we've got to give more emphasis to practice leaders across social work, across health, across education, across the police, to work together to implement the operational solutions which will improve uh, multi-agency work. Some, for example, would point to mashes and things like that. If you can get that bit right then you can be clear about the strategic issues in an area. You can be clear about the totality of resources. You can be clear about the planning arrangements. You can be clear about the priorities. You can be clear about anticipating new areas of work. And if we get those issues as the focus of the strategic multi-agency area working agreement, supporting what's happening on the ground, I think we begin to look to see how we can answer some of the leadership questions Okay. Um, now, on the partnership side of things, you, you've talked about other boards that are obviously, I, I mean, in my view, part of the independent chair's responsibility to form strong partnerships with, and that would be the Safeguarding Adults Board, the Health and Wellbeing Board, etc. Um, and there are so many areas of overlap. I mean, if we mm. remember from our school days, Venn diagrams, you know, with the overlapping circles and so forth. And and I think there are so many areas of overlap, but there are also, of course, huge areas of exclusivity when it yes. comes to area. Now, I mean, how are you, how are you thinking about tackling? I'm, I'm, for example, if I give, give you an example in, in some of the board, the board's work that I'm involved with, adults... Where adults and children's safeguarding overlap to me are in things like the toxic trio, you know, so domestic, yeah. domestic violence, mental health and substance abuse, uh, where there's a huge impact on children by the behavior of adults. Yes. Um, and so, you know, and health and well-being, well, it's self-obvious too, where, where they would come into that in terms of the impact that um, their overview 
looks at. So, I mean, there are plenty of areas, but then again, it's not the same. And adult safeguarding boards, as you know, haven't got the statutory yeah. sort of standing that children's boards have. I mean, the, the area, is it a mess? Is it complicated or is it just about right? Uh, I think it's all, <laughs> in a funny way, I think it's all of those things. I mean, I think what's happened, and you know, we need to reflect on this a bit, is that where we've got things like local safeguarding children boards, adult safeguarding boards, um, uh, you know, the local family justice boards, the community safety partnerships, um, the health and well-being boards, we've got a whole range of governance and accountability arrangements looking across the piece of the pieces of activity that affects children's lives. Um, and I, I just I just wonder if we've we've got ourselves into a bit of mission creep where the level of duplication, uh, the amount of um, double thinking that takes place around these issues, it's been put to me by some people in this review. Um, I spoke with a um, a police and crime commissioner who suggested that a lot of their time was spent going to meetings with exactly the same people with a different agenda sheet before them, covering a little bit of the meeting they'd been at before. And I think that is a worry. I think that is a concern, because I think that does potentially lead to confusion. Hmm. You know, if you think about domestic homicide, I've spent some time talking to the colleagues who lead nationally on um, the arrangements for uh, domestic homicide reviews. And, you know, they talk about the issues there where there's a you know, a, a closeness between those reviews and uh, safeguarding children, boards commissioning serious case reviews, mental health uh, reviews of individuals, independent police uh, complaints committee reviews. And I think we have got ourselves into a bit of a stew on all of these things. And we we need to, um, you know, thin it out a bit and see see where the wood for the trees is, if you like. I mean, one, one, one of the things I think... And, I, I just wonder, um, I'm just wondering if the way in which we have slightly gone down separate tracks around things, children, adults, the introduction of troubled families in the last four or five years, um, I, I just wonder if we've got a sufficient clarity of focus on families, actually. And, you know, one wonders whether we have in the right place at the right time consideration of all of these issues, because the bulk of them, the majority of the issues that concern us and we seek to resolve and stop from happening, don't involve individuals. They're engaged in families, and they are complex structures, as you know. And, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe, we're, we're creating lots of separate things. Uh, when we need to just stop a, for a second and say, actually, let's just think family a bit here. So I think some of the work, for example, that's coming out of troubled families is really, really interesting about how people have slightly stepped outside of their roles and have got a slightly better approach to working with families. So we might see the advent of family safeguarding boards, then, yeah? <laughs> well, I'm not... <laughs> I think I think if, if something like that was suggested after a short review like this, it would be quite miraculous. <laughs> um, okay, now, does size matter, I suppose, is another one. I mean, the, 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 the boards that I'm involved with, the two boards are very different, um, certainly very different in size. One of them is um, in part of the Manchester area, which is involved in the whole devolution issue at the moment, mm. and that brings with it its own agenda. Um, as well as its own landscape 
but there is some wonderful work going on there in terms of, um, I'll just take child sexual abuse, or child sexual exploitation, for example. I mean, and the work between the police and, and, and um, local children's services who are having a joint teams. Mm-hmm. We're actually working on that. And that, that work, I would be very sad to see uh, interrupted because it's having a real impact. Um, and other work that I'm doing with the other board I'm involved with is in a city that has 120 languages spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole issue of radicalization and the prevent agenda sort of superimposed on top of our day-to-day, if you like, kind of safeguarding yeah. issues. It's also being tackled, I think, very well, and, and kind of we're, we're putting a lot of effort into that. And so you, you can see the agendas are completely different, not just in terms of geography, but in terms of size, in terms of population and demographic. I mean, I, I, I just I just wonder about the, the whole issue of kind of a, a, a one solution fits all. Uh, interesting point. I mean, you know, I was speaking to a chair of safeguarding board the other day who was explaining to me that, you know, this increasing addition of specifics sort of areas of activity into, well, the safeguarding board can, can be responsible for that and sort that out, and radicalisation and FGM and, you know, on a base violence are some of the recent uh, mm. issues which have come forward. I think scale is an important issue. Um, and I think that the discussions, you mentioned the discussions in Manchester about, you know, what I think they call Devo Mank. Um, yes. They mm. must raise some interesting questions as to whether it, you know, you've got one safeguarding board for the whole of Essex and you've got one safeguarding board for, you know, a relatively small inner London local authority. Um, uh, you know, so you, I, I am interested in this area. I, I wouldn't want to say much more than that, not because it's a secret, but, because, but, but I do think it's interesting and I think it would be odd to conclude the review without making some comment on scale. Mm. Um, I think that it might be interesting to see what happens in areas if there were, you know, large conurbations brought, uh, you know, coming together to form large conurbations and whether there was a safeguarding uh, body for that area. It does, of course, raise even sharper the need to have clarity about leadership and what the decisions they would have, because if they strayed into operational across, you know, enormous conurbations, you know, if you had one safeguarding board for London, for example, the extent to which it could get involved in operational issues would I imagine quite limited. Um, it's quite of interest in, in the bit of work we're doing on the child death overview panel because there is there is some feeling among analysts that you need a population base of about a million to get any real learning from child deaths. And of course, there's very few authorities in the country uh, who have child death overview panels of that of that kind of scale and size. So it's definitely an issue, David. Yeah, I don't think you'd have any. Um, or you, well, I don't think you'd have much argument against considering economies of scale in terms of, for example, two or three neighbouring panels, as long as it was easy transport, you know, looking at training and yeah. stuff like that, you know, issues like that. But I think in terms of local relationships, uh, local partnerships, local knowledge, just knowing people and people you work with in different agencies. I think the the wider it goes, the, the, the thoughts are that you would lose that relationship to a large extent. Yes. And so much of it is in the name local safeguarding children boards. That's right. But I think there's an argument that um, is, is, is slightly different to the scale one, which is 
the extent to which you're going to be permissive and the extent, the extent to which you need to be prescriptive. So, for example, you know, working together is, is reasonably prescriptive about uh, what local safeguard, how local safeguarding boards should be constituted, who should be on the membership of them, uh, even if, you know, in a sense there's only two functions to, you know, coordinate activities and to ensure their effectiveness. Um, and now some people um, suggest that you need to be more permissive and you need to say to local areas that you expect them to have in place appropriate arrangements for ensuring the individual agencies and the collective have in place proper arrangements to protect children, keep them safe, and to ensure they're safeguarded. Um, and the question is, is there a way of doing that? Do you, do you need central prescription that says it must be this committee organised in this way, meeting on this date to discuss these issues? Or is it possible to say, here are our expectations on local areas, and they, these expectations sit equally on all agencies, police, health, local authority, not like today where really the, the, the sitting is on the local authority. Um, and we expect you to make arrangements. And if, if the carrot is that you can be more permissive to resolve issues, as you say, locally about scale and about uh, remit, then the kind of encouragement would also be each agency, of course, police, health, probation, local authority, children's services within that, are all subject to external regulation and inspection. Mm -hmm. And if the external regulation and inspection um, had a clear, as part of its remit, was a clear uh, requirement to look at, for example, in the police, what arrangements they make to ensure within the police activities children are protected and kept safe, and what contribution the police make to you know, the area strategic work on this, that's a little bit of, you know, kind of strong encouragement, if you like, not quite a stick, but if you, you know, if the inspectors come in and say, well, actually, you're not doing enough to quality assure your own arrangements, and you're not doing enough to contribute to the local area arrangements, that would be quite powerful, I think. Listen, you were talking about the local kind of issues, and I, I mean, I don't think there's an absolute from what you were saying, and, and I guess that's what I was hearing you were telling me as well. I, I was thinking that but there's no wrong harm. There wouldn't be any harm in encouragement for kind of cross-border kind of uh, economies of scale, as opposed to just encouraging like full-blown mergers. Would that not be something else? That's a, a kind of a compromise, as well as, if you like, the um, the the way you were talking about encouraging kind of local kind of um, imagination. Um, I, th I think. I think the more we can do, which is, you know, encouraging people to do sensible things, getting people to define for themselves local solutions, the better. Because I do, I do think if you if you rely too much on prescription, um, you, you always leave the back door open because someone says, well, we wouldn't have done it this way, but you require us to do it this way. Oh. I think we need to, you know, I haven't met, I'm, you know, many a third of the way through and I haven't met many of the local government or health authority voices uh, and there what I intend to try and find out is the extent to which this voluntary cooperation across boundaries mm. is taking place I mean you know places like London you know 32 authorities plus the city um, you know 32 safeguarding boards etc uh, 
Does that make sense? Is it, is it, is it, is it working effectively? Is, is there room for one London safeguarding board or for five London safeguarding boards or something like that? Um, if you have a safeguarding board that looks across areas, makes it even more difficult about decision making, can you, you know, can you require the police commander in area A to do this and the police commander in area B, for example? So it does raise very complex issues. Um, but I, I, you know, I trust in the ability of the public agencies to come up with arrangements and proposals that are clear about those issues, are clear about demarcation, are clear mm. about decision-making, are clear about when a decision is made. It's a, it's a consensual decision, therefore everybody complies with it across their agencies. Mm. Um, I just think we have to find a way of uh, promoting it, because if we can't, then we will fall back on prescription. I seem to remember that when you first went to Hackney, um, at least it's so it's written, is that people say... <laughs> so it's pe people said, well, what are you doing coming in here? You don't know the area, you don't know this, you don't know that about here. You'll fail, you'll be, you'll be out of here in five minutes. Uh, and of course you weren't, and you were a great success there. Um, but part of it was because you said, no, I was just born just down the road. I know the place. I'm local. Um, and you, you put quite a bit of value on that, if, if what I read is, is to be accurate. And you're going to have to tell me that. But is, is that fair? I, I do believe that local solutions are the best ones. Um, but, of course, it does raise a question when local areas, you know, don't get it together to do the right thing. And, and what you, you will always have to have some reserved position uh, which says, well, look, you're just not getting on with this. I mean, I'm a great believer in peer support and peer pressure. And I think the way local health authorities, local police services, local government works together across boundaries... Um, has got to be the future. I mean, we see it in its most sharpest form at the moment in schools, where we see schools collaborating and cooperating more effectively now than they ever have to deal with issues which affect their community. So whether it's secondary schools that come together and collaborate around the post-16 curriculum or, or whatever. And I think we are seeing, you know, the, the push. We mentioned Manchester again because that's all we can do at the moment. But the push for Manchester, talk about the West Midlands working much more constructively as a as a larger area. Talk about the North East working together. Talk about London working together. All of these things are interesting, and all of them have potential if they have if they're driven by local ideas and local suggestions. If they're imposed from outside, the chances are they won't work as effectively, in my view. Right. Thank you. A couple, couple of quick questions before we finish, if I might. I mean, I, I, each board has a few lay members. I just wondered if you'd kind of considered their role really in this, in all of this, and what kind of any kind of feedback you've had so far. We have considered it, but they're in the group of people who we, we've got a date and we are going to be meeting a selection of lay members um, to hear what they have to say, uh, hear their views. Um, you, as you know, uh, my connections with Hackney, although they're finished now, um, Hackney had two lay members on its board, and I know very clearly from them what they think works and what they don't think works. But we are going, we, we have a diary date, as it were, to meet with lay members to hear their views. And I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to that because it kind of, it will come with a very different perspective, I guess, from, from what I've heard from others. Yeah. And the other thing then, well, good, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I hope it goes well. I mean, the, the other thing, of course, is this ubiquitous voice of the child. Uh -huh. uh, and of oh. course, 
everybody seems to be tackling that differently. Um, although I do get the impression that people are trying very hard to find the, the young person's voice reflected. Some, some are absolutely embracing it and having young people even attend the board and be on the board, whatever. Others are having consultation groups and so forth. Personally, I, I, I've got the various children and care councils and stuff like that that right, yeah. we consult and they uh, feed back to the board and, and I couldn't be more pleased with it. Um, but at, at the same time, I do get the impression that it's reasonably different. Have you had much discussion on that? We've got a meeting with the Children's Commissioner, uh, and that's one of the issues we're going to discuss with her because she's got in place various consultation arrangements for young people. Um, we've got a message out to a number of local authorities asking whether we can meet their young people kind of, uh, their young people's parliaments, because some of them have got young people's parliaments where young people go along to safeguarding boards, so we try and pick up young people's experience there. Um, it's a very interesting area to get into, I think, um, and I think that if you ask young people in a relatively open way what their opinions are, uh, you know, you, more often than not you get very you know, good insights that you hadn't thought about. So yes, we will be doing work to pick up, uh, you know, which shouldn't uh, you know, which views children, sorry, the views children have. But I'll be very interested to hear what Anne, Anne Longfield, the Children's Commissioner, says on this. Right. I'd like to just, uh, one final thing, or what, two, second last thing, I, I nail my colours to the mast a little bit, and that's to do with the, if you like, the digital footprint of, safe, uh -huh. of safeguarding boards. I'm very, very much uh, in favour of um, them being the window in the world to the community, and uh, the community having much much greater opportunity and encouragement to see what the boards do uh, on their behalf. Yeah. And so in both cases, I'm uh, encouraging our boards to um, update and, and make more modern and relevant and, and you know, the, the, the whole kind of digital footprint and the way that we interact. Mm -hmm. It can also have a professional's area for, for obvious reasons and stuff like that, for publication of reports and, and, and questioning each other and goodness knows what else. But also something that's a little bit more attractive to, if you like, the um, smartphone and tablet generation yep. that we have now rather than the laptop and desktop generation that's on its way out. Well, I, I, I think this is a very interesting area of activity because the kids are far more advanced than, than we tend to be. Mm. Um, so I'll do two things. I'll, I'll, I'll blow a trumpet and I'll, I'll suggest you talk to someone. Um, the trumpet is I suggest you know people listening see if they can find a little bit of time to go online and look at the City and Hackney Safeguarding Children Board uh, where I think you'll find what was described... Um, in a recent pilot inspection is, you know, the best annual report they've ever seen uh, for a safeguarding board and the most advanced, um, you know, ideas and contact mm -hmm. with uh, the digital world. So that's the blowing of the trumpet. Um, and the, the second is um, there's a guy called Jim Gamble. Oh, I, I know Jim, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, Jim's doing some incredible work with, with his organisation around... Uh, use of laptops, use of tablets, sharing information with people, protecting children with information. You know, um, uh, I, I was listening to a fascinating discussion he was having with someone who said, well, look, you know, we've got to stop children having access to uh, iPads and laptops and et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, because it's too dangerous for them. 
And he said, yeah, but just hold on and think a second. What would have you said 15, 25 years ago if someone said to you, we're taking your pen and paper away from you? Yeah. So you can't communicate with anybody. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a good point, David, but I think it's a point that goes across all of our public activity. I, th I think, this is me going out on a limb here, I think in, in, in general terms, public agencies and their digital presence seem to be a long, long way uh, from some of the interesting and successful things you see in the commercial sector. Well, I've maybe had some... For, uh, maybe for obvious reasons. <laughs> no, well, I mean, no, I, I, I nailed my colours to the mast there. I'm really in favour of, of, of kind of updating it and making mm. it a far more attractive shop window. Um, I mean, I've, I've even had somebody to, uh, who's looked at all the board's websites and done a bit of a deep dive onto them, and I can we can make them available to you and talk to you about that if you want. Okay. Um, finally, on a good let, let's say you you said in your um, letter that you sent out from the DFE that it was much to be proud of in the current arrangements for boards. You actually said that phrase, and and yeah. I just wondered if you might say a few words to finish this to actually say what you what you felt might be making you proud of what you found and what you see. I'm proud when I see professionals from across agencies working together to solve local problems and to improve opportunities for children and families. And one, some, one of the most exciting things I've seen coming out, and I, you know, I know it's controversial and I know some people it's a bit marmitey, but if you see some of the new multi-agency arrangements people have put in place, some of the mashes I've seen show this incredible spirit of determination and cooperation between staff across agencies that you don't always see in other arrangements. So I think we've, I'm, I'm proud to be associated with people who work in that way. I think some of the stuff that's happened nationally about serious case reviews is to be proud of because there's been some very important lessons uh, which have come out. Um, some of the work I've seen around cross-agency training and development for staff um, being very sensitively balanced, being very imaginatively designed to overcome, you know, challenges within organisations that stop cooperation and things like that. So just the, the whole sense of people showing what could be, what things could be like with a bit more encouragement as a standard rather than as an exception. All right, Alan. Many, many thanks for the interview and uh, wish you luck in your review. Okay, David. Good to talk to you as ever.